The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Delta Airlines. Delta has partnered with 55 academic institutions to create a pipeline of the next generation of pilots and technicians. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, November 16th. In today's news, President Trump keeps the door open to a government shutdown next month. A Democratic challenger to Nancy Pelosi steps forward. And the U.S. looks to smooth things over with the Saudis and the Turks. But first, the big idea. Federal prosecutors inadvertently revealed in an unsealed court filing that WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has been charged with crimes. The disclosure came in a filing in a case unrelated to Assange, Assistant U.S. Attorney Kellen Dwyer, while urging a judge to keep the matter sealed, wrote that charges against the activists need to remain secret until Assange is arrested and in U.S. custody because otherwise they'd never get him. Oops. Federal prosecutors in the Eastern District of Virginia have long been investigating Assange. In the Trump administration, they had begun to take a second look at whether to charge members of the WikiLeaks organization related to the 2010 disclosures of secret diplomatic cables and military documents. Investigators had also explored whether WikiLeaks could face criminal liability for the more recent revelation of sensitive CIA cyber tools. Special counsel Bob Mueller also has explored WikiLeaks' publication of emails from the Democratic National Committee and the account of Hillary Clinton's then-campaign chairman John Podesta. It was not immediately clear what charges Assange faces. In the past, prosecutors contemplated pursuing a case involving conspiracy, theft of government property, or violating the Espionage Act. But whether to charge the WikiLeaks founder was hardly a foregone conclusion. During the Obama years, the Justice Department concluded that pursuing Assange would be akin to prosecuting a news organization. Matt Zapatosky and Devlin Barrett report that the Trump administration is not as worried about that perception. Even if he is charged, Assange coming back to the U.S. to face trial is no sure thing. Since June 2012, six years ago, Assange has been living in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, afraid that if he steps outside, he'll be arrested. When he first sought asylum in the embassy, he was facing possible extradition to Sweden in a sex crimes case. In the years since, that case has been closed, but Assange has said he can't risk leaving the embassy because the U.S. would attempt to have him arrested and extradited. If Assange were to leave the embassy and be arrested by British authorities, he would likely still fight his extradition in British courts. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one. Trump would not commit on Thursday to avoid a partial government shutdown next month if lawmakers don't fully fund his border wall. Senate Appropriations Chairman Richard Shelby, Republican from Alabama, and other GOP leaders met with Trump on Thursday to talk about funding the government. Shelby said afterwards that Trump was noncommittal about how he will proceed. The president's staff has warned him that he won't get the $5 billion he's demanded for new wall construction in 2019. Although they retain full control of Congress for now, Republicans still need support from Democrats to pass any bill through the Senate. Meanwhile, also yesterday, Ron Vidiello, Trump's pick to lead Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, ICE, refused to rule out the possibility that the administration will once again resort to separating migrant parents from their children at the U.S.-Mexico border. The White House is discussing plans to detain asylum-seeking families for up to 20 days and then give parents a choice— stay in jail with their child pending a deportation hearing, or allow their children to be taken to a government shelter. 
At his confirmation hearing on Thursday, Vitiello would not address repeated questions seeking clarity on how long he believes migrant children should be allowed to be detained or whether the separation of families causes psychological harm. Experts agree it does. Number two, Nancy Pelosi insists that she has the votes necessary to become the next Speaker of the House, even as a potential challenger emerged who may be able to rally some party dissidents eager to block her bid. In a flurry of one-on-one meetings, Pelosi has courted wavering lawmakers, paying particularly attention to the incoming majority-making class of freshmen. She appeared to make real headway, as leaders of the Congressional Progressive Caucus described their session with her as a productive and successful conversation. The powerful liberal organization Move On endorsed her, as did civil rights leader John Lewis, a Democratic congressman from Atlanta. Pelosi remained short of the votes necessary, though, to win, with solid opposition from at least 19 Democrats. And Representative Marsha Fudge, a Democrat from the Cleveland area of Ohio, has emerged as Pelosi's foremost potential challenger. Fudge isn't a member of her party's leadership, and she's now a few years removed from her stint as chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. But the 66-year-old embraced her relative anonymity on a rainy Thursday morning during an interview in her congressional office, casting herself as a symbol of the backbone of her party as she considers challenging Pelosi. She also said that the party's top ranks need more diversity. But Fudge still faces an uphill climb in the days ahead as she makes a final decision about the speaker race, with the CBC sharply divided over her potential candidacy. Fudge's record is already coming under scrutiny, with Pelosi allies privately arguing to on-the-fence Democrats that Fudge's refusal to co-sponsor the Equality Act makes her a non-starter. That bill gives civil rights protections for sexual orientation and gender identity. Fudge dismissed the criticism, saying she supports gay rights, but not that particular piece of legislation. Number three, the Trump White House is looking for ways to extradite one of Turkish President Erdogan's enemies from the United States in an attempt to placate Turkey after Washington Post contributing columnist Jamal Khashoggi was killed in Istanbul at a Saudi consulate. NBC reports that the Trump administration last month asked federal law enforcement agencies to examine legal mechanisms for removing exiled Turkish cleric Fatullah Gulen in an attempt to persuade Erdogan to ease pressure on the Saudis. The effort includes directives to the Justice Department and FBI that officials reopen Turkey's case for his extradition, as well as a request to the Homeland Security Department for information about his legal status. The White House specifically wanted details about Gulen's residency status in the U.S., He has a green card, according to two people familiar with the matter, and has been living in Pennsylvania since the late 1990s. Meanwhile, the Senate on Thursday voted down an effort to block an arms sale to Bahrain, which was pitched by backers as a means of forcing the island nation to stop participating in the Saudi-led coalition that is causing a humanitarian crisis in Yemen. It was shot down by a majority of senators over concerns that it would expose the U.S. to greater dangers in the Persian Gulf. Only 21 senators voted to support blocking the arms sale. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, November 16th. Finally, a farewell to Anne Lee. Anne has been the producer of this podcast since we launched it. She's extraordinarily talented and thoughtful, which is why NPR hired her to take charge of their emerging platforms. I'll miss her joyfulness at 5 a.m., but I'm happy she'll get to sleep in. Thank you, Anne. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you on Monday.